Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Give me one second. I got to just turn sure, sure. turn the heat down. I'm, I'm dying in here. <laughs> Ooh, sweating, baby. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined by my trusted co-host, the Luke Walton getting fired to a Kings fan vomiting all over the courtside area at a Sacramento Kings game on the same day. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? Wow. Talk about adding insult to injury. I cannot think of a more unceremonious exit for a coach. No, we will discuss this in our full core press, but the short version is the Kings played a game. It did not go well for them. It went very poorly for a certain Kings fan that was courtside. And then the next day, Luke Walton got fired. So the last game that he ever coached for the Sacramento Kings is... The vomit game. Yay. <laughs> yeah, but never forget the Luke Walton and Kobe Bryant combined to score 81 points against the Raptors that one time. Yes, they did. Indeed, they did. So before we get into some more basketball stuff, clearly less disgusting things in addition to the very disgusting one that we will talk about, we got to center ourselves. We really got to get clean before we talk about something so dirty. And in order to do so, we're going to do that in the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Teal's doing well. That's good to hear. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't think all of the Dr. Teal soap in the world could make up for what that fan did in Sacramento. No, uh, not at all. But maybe our Teal, if she committed herself to cleaning it, she could do it better than Dr. Teal. I would not wish that on Teal. She's a lovely person. I would not wish that upon Teal at all. No, I wouldn't. Not at all. You know who else I would not wish any ill upon in any way, shape, or form at all, ever? Certainly not our patrons. Certainly not our patrons, and certainly not our producer-level patrons. Shout out to those producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three, Bang! He sells seashells, Matt Barger, Eileen Gazette. Avatar Kiyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Mitch Chrysler, Bang, Bang, Brown Men Can Jump, Long Suffering Timberwolves Fan, Roast Beef Debris, Kade the Conqueror, Basketball Is Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steamed Nuggets, and Breezus. Your bang genuinely surprised me because we did go through the list. Sometimes folks drop out. That's no big deal. That is life. It is the circle of Patreon. Sometimes you got to spend money on cool life things like you're getting married or whatever. But I'm so used to the one cadence that when that bang came in, I was legitimately startled. That's completely understandable. <laughs> and it's always fun where in the first 10 minutes of an episode, we have a strong candidate for episode title. And uh, your bang surprised me. Absolutely <laughs> going to be on the list. People often ask, what is so hard about making a podcast? What's some of the hardest thing? Obviously, editing is a lot of work. We're very gracious that Misha puts in so much time to editing. Doing all of the research that we do takes a lot of work. But Adam identifying potential titles and then the two of us deciding what from this list of eight to ten options is the best is some of the most excruciating work we do here at Horse. Well, because there are usually so many good choices. <laughs> There's so many good choices. There's too many options. It's so much fun. And just know that if you are ever at home thinking, ah, oh, I wish the episode title was that, so do we. We wish it could be like Dr. Strangelove where we could just make the thing have seven titles, but got to make it 
easy for your podcast app to digest text. There's certainly limits. <laughs> Thank you all for your support. And speaking of support, Adam, we have a sponsor for this episode, and that sponsor is The Recount. The brand new sports podcast, The Long Game with LZ and Leitch, explores how events on the field collide with the moments, politics, business, and culture that happen off the field. Feels very much on the vibe of horse. We love off the field elements of sports. Hosts LZ Granderson and Will Leitch dig into vaccination hesitation, online betting, and all of the wonderful isms and phobias we've come to know, love, and hate. You can listen to new episodes of The Long Game with LZ and Leitch every Wednesday on therecount.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, before we wrap up here, just want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. There's a whole bunch of Multitude shows that you can listen to, and there's a new one you can listen to, the Queer Movie Podcast. Queer Movie Podcast is a queer movie watch party hosted by Rowan Ellis and Jazza John. You can join them as they research and rate their way through the queer film canon one genre at a time. From rom-coms to slashers, contemporary art house cinema to black and white classics, Queer Movie Podcast is a celebration of all things gay, and yes, that is gay with six A's, on the silver screen. New episodes come out every other Thursday. Yeah, New show, new stuff. Check it out. Woohoo! That sounds awesome. And now we can get into full court press. Get it like the news. Yup. Okay. We've alluded to it. Let's get it out of the way. It was a messy situation, but in Sacramento, the Kings were playing a game of basketball, and there was a courtside fan who had too many drinks, I would assume, and yeah. the stomach was not feeling good. And it was so bad that this person could not leave the situation. And they just let it rip on the court. Now, the game was not currently going on, which is nice. That could have made things worse. There is video of this if you want to search it. We are not going to link to this at the episode page of horsehoops.com because in case you accidentally tapped it and you didn't want to watch it, that's there. But if you Google King's Courtside Vomit, you will find that, baby. That SEO is locked tight. It was pretty gross. Lots of people had to clean it up, including... The mascot. The mascot helped with the cleaning, which feels like the worst person because they are covered in cloth. The king's mascot is a lion, and this lion is very furry, and that feels like the absolute worst person to have on a cleanup crew for this type of situation. I just really feel for the actual staff that clean that up because they cannot be getting paid very much, and that... Mm -mm. Oh, I... The only way to describe it, and you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna overrule Mike. We are going to link to something describing this event, but by the time you will have seen any vomit, you will be well aware that you could have stopped watching it. That is smart. It's Thank not you, like Adam. the first thing you see. It's a breakdown, uh, much like the John Boy videos, if anyone is familiar with those baseball reference. Um, but it is an amount of vomit that is similar to that scene in Team America, that's the best frame of reference I can come up with. Just like a That's six a foot perimeter. Yeah. And the thing is, this guy is so seemingly inebriated that he just doesn't move. Like he sits there and lets people clean up at his feet, possibly because he couldn't really stand up at the time. Like they show him being escorted off by his buddy and or security. He's a pretty, pretty wobbly character. Yes. Now, this took place on Saturday, November 20th, and the Kings ended up losing to the Utah Jazz 123-105. to I did have some intel because my buddy Chris, who lives in Sacramento, texted me a picture of him at the game. Now, he sent this text message long before the situation happened, so how would he know? But once I saw this happen, I knew he was there, so I texted him, was this you? And he said no. 
And here's the in-the-field reporting from my buddy Chris. He says, LMAO, no, but we definitely saw them get escorted out. I said, that's absolutely wild. He said, it took like 30 minutes to clean it up. It was unreal. They were some large dudes. They tracked Yak all through the exit. I cannot wait for the replay. And then I said, I will be skipping the replay, but what an honor to say you were at the VOM game. And he said, truly an honor to witness. I mean, in fairness, and I don't know if Chris would agree, I kind of feel like that fan was just visualizing how Kings fans have felt for two decades. I mean, unfortunately, it is a bit representative of the Kings franchise. I genuinely feel bad for the Sacramento Kings. They have been not run very well by their upper management. The fans there are very passionate. They were so close to having success in the early 2000s, and the refs just absolutely screwed them over, as we covered on a previous episode of Horse. When I made my NBA 2K11 franchise team, I made them the Kings because I just wanted Sacramento to win some rings, and I won them five consecutive rings. Shout out to fictional Sacramento. Now, <laughs> They did go on to fire Luke Walton, who was their coach, who was making some interesting coaching decisions. He he wasn't necessarily the best coach, so them firing him wasn't a huge surprise. I will say, whether it was fueled by the vomit game or by Luke Walton's firing, the Kings ended up losing their next game, but only by eight points to the 76ers, who are very good. But they then beat the Trailblazers on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. and then on Friday, November 26th, they beat the Lakers in overtime. So I don't know what is behind this, but they did have some impressive wins post this situation. Maybe it's a turning point in the season for them. Maybe it is. Maybe they will look back on the vomit game as the moment that it all came together. Right. Now, Adam and I will have some fun links available at the episode page of horsehoops.com. The video Adam mentioned. Also, Rob Perez put together a great tweet thread where he just took screenshots of players' reactions when they realized what was happening. And it's very, very funny. And that one, no vomit, just people making disgusted faces, which is very good. Do you think this guy has potential to become the Sons and Four guy? Where if the Kings become really, really good, does this guy become the hero of Sacramento? You know, that's a great question. And I think... Sadly, yes. I think that this guy has a very (laughs) bright future ahead of him. Uh, Well, I don't know that it can get any worse, but you know, at the very least, he'll be a fun trivia factoid for the rest of his life. So let's talk about some other stuff. Fantasy team wise, it's time for Dream Team. Adam and I talking about our fantasy teams. Where we last left us, Adam was in last place and I was in second place. Now I'm in first place and Adam is in second to last place. But let it be clear, you are on a two week winning streak of winning eight to four, which is very good. So uh, things are looking good for team Lonzo Ball is life. Things are looking up and I'm especially pleased with the fact that I have done this without my best player, Joel Embiid, the past two weeks, which makes me pretty confident about the rest of the year. I think I maybe just had a rough start. When I got shut out 11 nothing a few weeks ago, that was a real a real problem for me because I was like, okay, I think my team is just terrible. But I have made some shrewd waiver wire acquisitions. I'm pretty pleased with that. Your team is just good. I, I don't really... I'll give you your flowers, as the, as the people say these days. Thank you, thank you. I'm very excited that my team has worked out. It is, as I've mentioned, a team of, I can't believe this guy's still available. I guess I will take him guys. And they've turned out really well. My team is named Do You Want a McFlurry after DeJounte Murray. I named the team that before DeJounte Murray decided to become basketball Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. where he's putting up obnoxious numbers for the Spurs and also being a good guy while he does so, because he has achieved so many triple doubles this season. And some reporter asked him about the triple 
triple doubles because he's getting these, but the Spurs are still losing. And he basically said something to the effect of, I don't give a fuck about these triple doubles. I only care about winning. I love it. I don't care. <laughs> so he's very passionate. He's fiery. He's playing well. I'm glad that my team's namesake is playing well. And uh, that feels good. But yes, I'm feeling good about my team. I was very jealous of some of the guys that you snagged on the waiver wire because I was thinking of getting them and you swooped in early. So props to you there. Yeah, I snagged uh, Lugens Dort mm-hmm. on the Thunder, who has been playing extremely well. And I think my best acquisition of the year, and this is reminiscent of last year when I acquired Anthony Anderson. Excuse me. I did not acquire <laughs> the actor from the show Blackish. <laughs> Uh, I acquired Anthony Edwards, member of the Timberwolves, early last year, and he went on to have a spectacular season. This year, I picked up Jared Vanderbilt on the Timberwolves, and he has been really, really, really strong. Other than that, it's been kind of a a revolving door, but I do feel pretty good about the pieces I've added here and there. Uh, I also, when I got Embiid off of the injured list, picked up Kelly Olenek, which I think might be a nice little stash for me once Olenek is back from the injured reserve. So I'm feeling more confident. We are in a league where most of the teams make the playoffs. So I think if I just keep having these eight to four weeks, I'll chip my way back into contention. And I'm just trying to stay out of the play-in. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Now we are recording this on November 29th. Adam and I are playing each other this week in fantasy, which when Joel Embiid came back, I was very happy because I like watching Joel Embiid play basketball. But then when I realized I would be playing against your team, who now has Joel Embiid, I became less excited. Understand. So we will see how everything shakes out, but it's it's a fun time and hopefully you can fight your way back up the rankings. And that is uh, this episode's dream team update. There you go. And before we conclude Full Court Press, let's just talk about how things are going in the NBA right now. The Warriors, the Warriors are terrible. The Warriors are awful. <laughs> the Warriors are 18 and 2. They are lighting the world on fire. If you like good television, you should watch the Warriors because Steph Curry is just a monster. Back at peak form, he's so much fun to watch. At least when the Warriors are going into the third quarter, you have to turn on the television because it started as like a joke of like, oh, playoff Rondo, oh, third quarter Warriors. The Warriors are obnoxious in the third quarter. They have the stats to prove it and they just destroy people when they come out of halftime. I guess Steve Kerr just gives rousing halftime speeches every single game because they come out absolutely on fire and destroy their opponents in the third quarter. They are 18 and 2. The Suns are also 17 and 3. They were on a ridiculous win streak. They still are. We are recording this a bit early, so by the time you listen to this, that may potentially and statistically likely be over. But the Suns started out 1 and 3 and people were like, "Oh gosh, are the Suns going to have some sort of slump after losing in the finals?" Nope, they have won 16 consecutive games. Absolutely absurd. So they are 17 and 3. They are very good. And the East is incredibly tight in our podcast, we say we're not going to talk about the wins and losses. So let us just say that the separation between the first place team and the 10th place team is very tight. Only Mm -hmm. a four game win loss difference, which in layman's terms, it's incredibly tight. Every game that East Coast teams play is very intense. The Knicks and the Bulls have had two fantastic games. The Knicks won the first, the Bulls won the second. They play again on December 2nd. So when this episode is live, it'll already be out there and one of us will be very happy and one of us will be sad. But Adam and I do have tickets when the Knicks and the Bulls play each other in New York City in March, I believe. Mm -hmm. So that will be a very, very fun time. Basketball is really fun this year. There are so many teams that are all very close. Obviously, you have your very, very top contender teams, but it's fun when there's a lot of really good teams 
And there's a lot of really good teams. There are. It has been a lot of fun. I've I've been a bit concerned about the Bulls in the past week. They got blown out by the Pacers, lost by like 30 points, and then they lost to the Rockets, yeah. who were one and fifteen. Yeah. And that cannot happen. That's not good. The Rock I will say we did talk about good teams. There is a subset of truly horrendous teams. Oh yeah. And the Rockets are leading that charge. They are three wins and sixteen losses. And though we don't necessarily talk about the wins and losses, that is so bad that we have to address it because they might be on pace to be the worst team ever (laughs) yeah that's not great (laughs) the charlotte bobcats in the mid-2000s set that record it was a shortened season due to an nba lockout so the percentages are a little bit different but the rockets could make history in the worst way and we'll just have to see what happens but we're we're sorry for you folks in houston that want to watch a competent basketball team you at least have fun players so you've got that but you you don't you don't have a whole lot of wins you have three to be precise yes but in fairness and and again we are probably talking about the wins and losses too much but we'll make an exception this time the strangest thing about the western conference right now as i'm looking at the standings is that of the 15 teams in the west there are only five teams that are above 500 yeah it's not looking good very top heavy and this is funny narrative wise because years ago i would say for a good 10 years the west was really really good and the east was bad and everyone was talking about should we move some of the west teams over to the east should we get rid of conferences should we do things to adjust it should it be all these different solutions quote unquote to this problem quote unquote and everyone that had a level-headed brain said this could change and it appears like it has so the league is very fun right now highly recommend watching some nba basketball because it's it's a fun time it's a very fun time it is so with that complete we have now wrapped up full court press get it like the news and we can move on to your three on three adam one two three three two one three on three so As we have told you before, we do read your emails, and please feel free to reach out to us anytime at horsehoopspod at gmail.com or through our website, horsehoops.com. Some of the emails we receive include suggestions for future that actually happened or three-on-three segments, and whenever possible, we do our best to make those suggestions happen. All that to say, thank you to our listener Sierra for today's three-on-three suggestion. Essentially, I will be doing my own personal drama drafts, but in this case, I will be discussing America's most drama-filled family. You guessed it. The Schuberts. Whoa! Nothing but drama with that crew. I mean, we all see on Instagram, seems very chaotic over there. Nobody gets along. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Mike has the loveliest family in the world. So today, I proudly present the three least dramatic and three most dramatic Kardashian slash Jenner relationships with NBA players. That's very good. I'm very excited. It's kind of exactly what this whole podcast is about, really. Just things that are uh, yeah. NBA adjacent. 100%. And, and we have only scratched the surface of the Kardashian influence in the NBA, if you will. The Kardashian oeuvre? Yes, the Kardashian (laughs) oeuvre has... Not to be confused with the Kelly oeuvre. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The oeuvre oeuvre would be very fun. There is so much to discover and there's so much to unearth. And I'm glad that you have taken it upon yourself to share with us because we have not given it a fair share because it is obnoxious how deep this well runs. Yeah, it was both fascinating and disturbing to do research for this. So according to my research, and I have every expectation that I will get fact-checked on this, the Kardashian-Jenners, henceforth called the KJs for this podcast. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank Not you. Not to be confused with Ray J. Who is also <laughs> yes. in the mix. Very much in the mix. The Kardashian-Jenners, the KJs, 
have dated eight total NBA players. So in this case, our patrons will receive an expanded four on four, and maybe I'll throw in a couple football players just cause. Now, based on what I was able to find, Kim Kardashian has dated one NBA player, Kendall Jenner has dated three, and Chloe is atop the leaderboard having dated or been married to four NBA players. My goodness. Let's start with the three least dramatic relationships and work our way up to the most. And bear in mind that these are the KJs, so even the least drama still involved a moderate to severe amount of drama. The third least drama-filled romance was Kendall Jenner and Blake Griffin back in 2018. According to an article from E! News, revered by some as the New York Times but for stupid people, their romance hit a dead end uh, due to a basketball-related issue. During the 2017-2018 season, Blake was traded from the Los Angeles Clippers to the Detroit Pistons, and this understandably put a strain on their budding relationship. According to an insider source, who we have to assume is Kris Jenner, quote, Kendall and Blake still talk, and she has been to Detroit to see him, but the distance is a major factor. He will be back in LA for the summer, and it's possible they could heat up again. For now, they are still in contact and not ruling anything out. Now, as much as it's fun to make fun of the KJs flying on their PJs, in their PJs, this is a legitimate issue. Like, imagine being in a new relationship with someone and then having to move halfway across the country. It's not ideal. And not just move halfway across the country. Move from Los Angeles to Detroit. And not to throw any shade on Detroit because I've never been there, but I can just assume these are vastly different locations, lifestyles, especially for someone who is just famous because of reality TV and nothing more. Right. So I feel like that is just uh, a strain on any relationship, as you said, but I think on this one specifically... It's, it's a whole nother deal. Yeah, you don't see a lot of Instagram stories of Kendall Jenner being in Detroit. No, I don't think I've ever seen any Kendall Jenner Instagram story <laughs> at all, thankfully, which I think speaks volumes as to how I live my life. But yeah, I, I would be quite shocked if yeah. she ever did go there. Now, it also sounds like things were never particularly serious anyway. Uh, according to another source, quote, they were hanging out, but both knew that it wasn't going to be a long-term exclusive relationship. They are still in contact and hang out here and there when they're both in town because they truly have a lot of fun together. Kendall always says Blake makes her laugh, and that's why she loves being around him. And that makes a lot of sense because Blake Griffin is actually very funny. Like, he's a good actor. When you see him on, he was in an episode of Broad City. He's been in a bunch of mm -hmm. TV shows. He, I think, hosted SNL at one point. He's good in commercials. Like when you see Patrick Mahomes in a commercial, it is painful. I've, I've never seen somebody with less charisma in my life. Right. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen any Patrick Mahomes ones, but I can speak to Blake. He even made some vines that were good, hmm. which I very much appreciated. He did a stand up set. What's the the Toronto one? Uh, he Yeah, he did. He did stand up at Just for Laughs. Yeah. Like. I would say not as good as, you know, as someone like the Adam Amawalas of the world. But, you know, he did all right. <laughs> uh, that is true. But he is better at basketball. So we're, we're even in that way. Look, we all have our strengths. Exactly. Uh, our second least drama-filled relationship is one that is still ongoing, Kendall Jenner and Phoenix Suns star Devin Booker. Apparently, they keep their relationship fairly private, although I am happy to share this juicy piece of information that I found in a truly clickbaity article in Life and Style magazine, emphasis on the juicy. Quote, while they keep things private, he did take to her Instagram comments in early 2020 to gush over her. When she captioned a photo with a strawberry emoji, he responded, quote, I like strawberries. That, that's all he said? That's it. That's the whole thing. Forget about supply chain issues. Forget about climate change. This is a story we need to be talking about. Devin Booker likes strawberries. The thing is, unless I am just old, 
I don't think a strawberry is a euphemism for anything. No, it's not like an eggplant emoji. What does a strawberry mean? Right. Or it's not like he's saying I love melons or something that would be very obvious. <laughs> but I don't know that the journalist who wrote that, <laughs> loose term of journalist, <laughs> I don't know that him saying that is him gushing over her. I think it's just him stating a fact. Like, like, strawberries are delicious. But if I walked up to my wife, Kelly, and I said, I like strawberries, she would not go, oh my God, Mike, that's so sweet. <laughs> but what if you commented it on Instagram? She would probably say, why did you say that? <laughs> And that is why neither of you have a show on E. Now, my favorite thing about KJNBA player relationships is that- So many letters. So many letters. (laughs) KJNBA. My favorite thing about KJNBA player relationships is that in much of the media, players who are absolute superstars are spoken about as if they are only the second most important person in the headline. Literally yesterday, there were multiple articles where the headline was some version of Kendall Jenner's boyfriend, Devin Booker, shines as Suns route nets. (laughs) You love to see it. Clearly being an NBA player and being hot take the same exact amount of skill and dedication. Yeah. I mean, I, that's that's very funny. But also you can see why they would have to do that for other totally. things. Because there's many times when people are dating someone that I don't understand. Like Tyler Hero's girlfriend is a very popular Instagram person. And there could be a headline where they say top Instagram influencer. And some Gen Z person would say, oh, my God, how do you not know Francisca Smith. I couldn't tell you her name. <laughs> That's the sexiest name you could come up with? <laughs> uh, you know, fun first name, standard last name. What's not to love? <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Apologies to any Francisca Smiths listening. <laughs> Email us. Let us know. Let us know that you're out there. Evidently, and admittedly, this is kind of dramatic. Booker and Jenner first met on a double date with other people. So back in 2018, Kendall Jenner was dating Ben Simmons because apparently he shoots his shots better in real life than on the floor. And Devin Booker was with Kendall's close friend, Jordan Woods. Booker stopped dating Woods when she was caught making out with Khloe Kardashian's husband, Tristan Thompson, at a party. We'll get to that later. That's a mess. Oh, yeah. But keep in mind, this is the least dramatic stuff. (laughs) Well, I mean, your your girlfriend made out with my sister's husband is pretty bad. It's it's pretty bad, yeah. Um, but apparently things heated up between Jenner and Booker last year and have progressed since then. My favorite inappropriate quote from my research was Kendall's response to people accusing her of, quote, passing around NBA players, to which she so eloquently responded via Twitter, quote, they act like I'm not in control of where I throw this cooch, end quote. And with oh. that, let's move on to number one. <laughs> yes, please. Our number one least dramatic... KJNBA relationship belongs to the aforementioned Kendall Jenner Ben Simmons romance. That's the least dramatic. The least dramatic. Wow. This is all wildly subjective. Kendall and Ben started hanging out in 2018, during which time they were spotted on a lunch slash shopping date in Beverly Hills at Khloe Kardashian's 4th of July pool party and vacationing with Khloe and Tristan Thompson in Mexico. At this time, things were still fairly casual, but heated up in 2019 when Kendall was spotted at a 76ers game with Ben's mom. By May of that year, however, Kendall spoke about her, quote, uncertain relationship with Ben to Vogue Australia while confessing, quote, I don't want to bring too much attention to something if you don't really know long term, end quote. The two were on a break by the end of May and briefly rekindled their romance later that year. But overall, it seems to me that it was a pretty laid back courtship where both parties saw it as casual and no feelings were hurt. Correct me if I'm wrong. I couldn't. I mean, given the way Ben Simmons is not doing well under his very long term expensive contract with the Philadelphia 76ers, and this is the first year in which it has taken effect, it feels like he has problems with long term commitment. So ah, I would not be surprised. Nice. Look, I'm just going by the facts, baby. Well done. Well done. 
And with that, much like a four-course Indian dinner, it's time to move on to the spicier stuff. Okay. Love this transition. What are the best Indian dishes? For anyone out there that just goes to Indian places and only gets chicken tikka masala, what should people be getting instead? Resident expert, Adam Amawala. Great question, and thanks so much for asking. Um, I will admit the chicken tikka masala is an incredibly popular dish because it is really good. That's the problem. It's good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Might I suggest lamb vindaloo? Thank you, God. Yes. So might good. I also suggest Rogan Josh? Ooh, I've not. I don't know if I've that had is a, this a beef dish that's pretty okay, spicy. Okay. I mean, the standard things that people order a lot are good. Like a samosa is good. Uh, if you're mm. into sweets, might I suggest a gulab jamun or jalebi? Ooh. All very heavy. All Indian desserts are very heavy. Ras malai also very good. But yeah, those are some of my some of my non okay. chicken tikka masala. Non. Nah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's actually very, it's very funny that you just said that because uh, Gracie Kanan, who you know from Mm -hmm. writing on Modern Muckraker and a a mutual friend of ours, she, uh, like me, is half Indian and posted a a photo of herself having ordered too many uh, masala dosas is what they're called. It's a, have you ever heard Mm -hmm. of dosas? Yeah, it's like the big bread disc things, right? Exactly. Yes. It's like a very thin bread. And uh, because I love dad jokes, I commented on her post, uh, geez, I hope you don't overdosa. (laughs) And she was like, no, Adam. No. And I commented in response, I assumed my dad jokes would be a non-issue and I spelled it N-A-A-N. So we are very much on the same wavelength here. Fantastic. Thank you for this corner. I'm a big tandoori guy as well. I love a tandoori. Anyway, all that being covered. (laughs) The third most dramatic KJ-NBA relationship belongs to Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson. And who boy, where do you even begin with this one? They're in third place. They are in third place. They are in third place. And I stand by this ranking. Okay, okay. Initially, as most relationships should theoretically start, there was not a ton of drama. Khloe and Tristan were first rumored to have started dating back in 2016, the same year that Tristan was on the NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers. And within a few years, they were expecting their first child together. All was well until it was revealed that Tristan had cheated on Khloe. And not just like one time, like habitually, including, and you can't make this stuff up, while she was nine months pregnant with their daughter. Real class move on his part. And look, not to be too preachy, but my opinion with this stuff is always the same. I can completely appreciate that when you are an NBA player or a celebrity of any sort, there's a lot of temptation out there. I get it. But if that's what you're into, have at it. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. The fact that they were married and pregnant, that's not, that's a two strike, not great situation. Yeah, it's it's pretty awful. But as many toxic relationships tend to go, they continued to be on again and off again after that point. They reconciled last year after quarantining together in the early months of the pandemic. And side note here, but a big old F you to any celebrity or athlete who was bitching about quarantining in their mansions while the rest of us stayed in 500 square foot apartments or moved back in with our parents. Spare me. Yes. Wild. I It was very frustrating. And then shout out to the celebrities who were getting backlash for this, who then started doing Zoom calls and stuff from the ugliest room in their house. Oh, my shout gosh. Kristen Bell. I mean, <laughs> what we what we really needed last year was celebrities singing Imagine off key. And uh, for that, I will forever be thankful. We, we needed more of those videos, I think. Or you love to see a black and white video where where actors earnestly say, I take responsibility for not yeah. doing more, for not speaking up when I should have. Need more black squares on Instagram too. That was pretty good. Oh, you got to have them. Just that. Nothing else beyond that, Mm-mm. but just that no, no, one no, time. No, no. Just this way. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, let's wrap this up. As of June of this year, they had split up again, but it's safe to assume that we likely have not heard the last of this relationship. I personally just hope their daughter is okay because I feel like children often seem to be the real casualties of dysfunctional relationships and that bums me mm -hmm. out. Agreed. That's exactly where I'm at. Our number two most dramatic relationship was brief, but drama-filled and belongs to the most famous Kardashian of all, Kim K and her very brief husband, Chris Humphreys. Now, Mike, when I think of the number 72, I think of the miraculous 95-96 Bulls season in which they broke the all-time regular season wins record at the time, and unlike the 73-win Golden State Warriors in 2016, actually won the NBA championship. But for fans <laughs> of the Kardashians, the number 72 means one thing and one thing only, signifies the number of days that Kim was married to Chris. Side note, it's got to be kind of weird to be married to a guy whose name is the same spelling as your mom's. Almost as weird as Taylor Lautner, who did date Taylor Swift and is now engaged to another girl named Taylor. If she changes her name, is she also just Taylor Lautner now? Yeah, that's very what interesting. Happens? I mean, like, I cannot imagine, and I guess I don't have a gender neutral name or at least a popularly gender neutral mm -hmm. name that I don't really have to live in this world, but it would be strange to have to say my name in an affectionate tone or in a romantic tone. It would just be so weird. But I feel like, as you just pointed out, I feel like mom's name weirder than your own name. Yeah. There aren't a lot of people my age who are named Deborah, but I feel like I couldn't mm. date a Deborah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I fortunately never was in a situation where I was attracted to a, a Megan or a Barbara or a Michael. Um, so I've I've never run into this, but I don't know. Tricky situation. Maybe a future interview. We'll just talk to some people who've dated folks with the same name as themselves <laughs> or a family member and we can just get into that psyche. Seems perfectly relevant. Yeah, it's about <laughs> basketball. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, I mean, it's about as much about basketball as this is. So. Kim K and Chris began dating in 2010, and by the following spring, Chris had proposed a lavish, highly orchestrated wedding followed in August, of course, documented in an e-special called Kim's Fairy Tale Wedding. The fairy tale ended when Kim filed for divorce literally weeks later. At the time, a source told Us Weekly that the newlyweds were, quote, not getting along, in part because Humphreys was not drinking the Kardashian Kool-Aid. Uh, speaking of which, our sponsor for today's episode of Horse is Kardashian Kool-Aid. Use promo code HORSE <laughs> for 50% off each bottle of Kool-Aid, which will reduce the price to $40,000 per bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Later that year, Chris Humphreys filed for an annulment, citing fraud as the reason, as he claimed that Kardashian married him solely for TV ratings. An annulment, for anyone unfamiliar, is a legal ruling, which is where a marriage is deemed to have been null and void and never happened. So this didn't end up going down as they ultimately settled the divorce in 2013, at which point Kim was already with Kanye West. In October of 2018, Humphreys stated that he, quote, tries to stay as far out of the spotlight as possible and truly wants zero association with his ex-wife. Pretty understandable, frankly. To her credit, Kim has admitted that she handled things horribly, and on a reunion episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians earlier this year, because of course even apologies have to be on camera, Kim stated that she feels bad for the way things ended between she and Chris. She also admitted that she had been nervous about the wedding and felt pressured, knowing that the wedding ceremony was going to be filmed for Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Evidently, Chris, Kim's mother that is, tried to talk her out of it the night before the wedding, but they went through with it anyway, quote, and I thought, okay, we're filming this for a TV show. If I leave, I'm going to be known as the runaway bride forever, and it's going to be a huge joke, and 
and I think I just have cold feet. I got this. It's cold feet. We're filming the show. She went on to say, I was so nervous to break up with someone. I handled it totally the wrong way. I fully broke up with him in the worst way and I couldn't. I just didn't know how to deal. I learned so much from it. She also claimed that she tried calling him for months after their separation, but he didn't want anything to do with her. Chris has gone on to have future significantly more private relationships, while Kim recently gave Pete Davidson a hickey. So I guess Chris Humphreys won the breakup. Yeah, and it's funny that she said she didn't want to become a joke because 72 became like a unit of time measurement for a couple years. People for months on end would say that something lasted, oh, that was half of a Kardashian wedding or twice as long as a, you know, it, it was very much a joke still. But yeah, that's a tough situation. Obviously, we don't know all the ins and outs, but I could see how if you have all this TV stuff going around that it's a, a lot of pressure, but also maybe uh, maybe wait a little bit longer before you have the wedding. I don't know. Just my thought worked out for me. <laughs> well, that is a perfect segue into our final entry, uh, our number one most dramatic romance, which belongs to Khloe Kardashian and her former beau, Lamar Odom. Oh, right. Oh, God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And honestly, this story is genuinely sad. Yeah. Um, Lamar Odom was a highly skilled former NBA star who is most remembered for having played alongside Kobe Bryant with the Lakers from 2004 to 2011. Odom won back-to-back championships in 2009 and 2010 and won the NBA Sixth Man Award in 2011, an award given to the best non-starting player that season. It was also around this time that Lamar and Chloe first met and from the very beginning, drama was afoot. The two first met at a party thrown by Ron Artest, aka Meta World Peace, aka Meta Sandiford Artest, and within a month's time, they had gotten married. Again, very quick wedding. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers on people who get married within a month of meeting their significant others. I suspect they're not great. They were immediately in the spotlight and their wedding was, of course, featured on Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Their relationship became such a focal point of the show that the E! Network actually greenlit a spinoff show called Chloe and Lamar, which featured the couple and two of Lamar's children from a previous relationship. Being on camera all the time understandably wore Odom down and he opted out of filming, resulting in the show's cancellation after two seasons. Things went downhill from there. In 2013, Odom was arrested for a DUI and refused to submit to a chemical test, but was rumored to have been abusing drugs. And before we continue here, I think it's only fair to give some context that Odom, despite being an NBA star, had not lived an easy life by any stretch of the imagination. Odom's father was a heroin addict and his mother died of colon cancer when he was 12. And in 2006, Odom lost his six-month-old son to sudden infant death syndrome, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Mm Mm-hmm. In any event, the drama around Odom ultimately led to Chloe filing for divorce in late 2013, and unfortunately things only went from bad to worse at this point. On October 13th, 2015, Odom was discovered unconscious at a legal brothel in Crystal, Nevada called the Love Ranch, and this is a serious story, so I'll resist the urge to make fun of the name of that establishment. But Odom had been using cocaine in the days prior to his medical emergency, and he suffered kidney failure, multiple heart attacks, and 12 strokes. This was a huge news story at the time because at one point he became comatose and was placed on life support in the hospital in Las Vegas before ultimately regaining consciousness. In the aftermath of the incident, Chloe temporarily withdrew her request for a divorce, stating that she had not reconciled with Odom, but wished to assist him in making medical decisions during his recovery. Miraculously, Odom survived this ordeal and was discharged from the hospital just three months after this happened. And later that year, he and Chloe's divorce was finalized, and since that time, Odom has spoken candidly about his health struggles, his cocaine addiction, and his recovery from that addiction. He has called himself a, quote, walking miracle who cheated death and has acknowledged that his past drug use had made the end of his basketball career come along a lot faster. But I am happy to report that while his relationship with Chloe didn't work out, this story does have a happy ending because earlier this year in an exhibition boxing match, Lamar Odom knocked out Aaron Carter. Wow. And that is my three on three. 
I have met Aaron Carter. I believe I've already told this story on horse during an episode where we delved in to see if he did or did not beat Shaquille O'Neal in a game of basketball. But Aaron Carter seems like a little bit of a jerk. So Mm -hmm. uh, good job, Lamar. Yeah. Lamar's also like twice that dude's size. Oh, it's an absurd matchup of people. Not a fair fight. Woof, woof, woof. Well, thank you for enlightening all of us about the KJ NBA drama today. It was my pleasure. And now we'll move on to my That Actually Happened. This is something that happened over a couple years ago. It recently celebrated another anniversary. And the player involved is someone who is a great basketball player, a really nice guy, unfortunately just had a surgery, so he's going to be out for a while, wishing him a speedy recovery. But Adam, did you know that there was a time where Colin Sexton, now of the Cleveland Cavaliers, played in a college basketball game and they had to play three on five and they almost won. I vaguely recall this having happened. I had no idea that Colin Sexton was a part of it, but I am excited to hear more. So this took place in 2017. Colin Sexton went to the University of Alabama, roll tide to all those who celebrate, (laughs) and they were playing against Minnesota. It was a pretty intense game, both highly rated basketball teams. And this was actually a game that took place at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, same place where the Nets play big arena. And we're going to put a link to a great Sports Illustrated article about this that was written at the time. I'm also going to link to a Players Tribune article where Colin Sexton wrote about it himself in the first person. So I want to give a shout out to Nahal Kalur, who wrote this SI article where I got a good chunk of the information. Also, Colin Sexton talked about this in an episode of The Low Post, a very good basketball podcast, and it's just a really cool story. So this was at the Barclays Center 2017. And during this game, Colin Sexton and a player on Minnesota, Nate Mason, they started talking back and forth, yapping at each other, and they each received a technical foul. Mason ended up getting ejected from the game. Later on in the game, there was another brawl between the two teams. This involved Amir Coffey from Minnesota and Dupree McBrayer from Alabama, as well as Riley Norris and John Petty from Alabama. So three Hmm. Alabama dudes and one guy from Minnesota, they were all yelling at each other. I got to tell you, oftentimes Amir Coffey is all I need in the morning to get going. (laughs) Very nice, very nice, very nice. Now, the problem here is that when this was happening, the people that were on the Alabama bench left the bench to intervene in this scuffle. But that is against the rules. So the entirety of Alabama's bench was ejected. Every single bench player was ejected from the game. So right off the bat, at this point in the game, Alabama has five players left. And that's it. Wow. Now, it somehow gets worse. Dazen Ingram from Alabama picked up his fifth foul with 11 minutes and 37 seconds left in the game. In college basketball, you can only get five fouls. In the NBA, you can get six. He's gone. So they're down to four players. Then, just 50 seconds later, John Petty sprained his ankle going up for a three-point shot, landed on the defender's foot, rolled his ankle pretty poorly, couldn't play. So there's 10 minutes and 47 seconds left in the game, and Alabama has three players left. So what do they do? They play the patented 1-2 zone, which is, of course, not a real defense. Usually you play things like a 3-2 zone or a 2-1-2 zone where you have five players, but they had three, so they had to make do. And obviously we're going to put a link to YouTube highlights of this game, but uh, 
They did well, <laughs> which is just absolutely bonkers, even though they are down three to five and not just three to five, three to five against a team that has people they can sub in if they get tired. Despite being down this, the Alabama team outscored Minnesota 30 to 22 to cut the lead to just three points with just over one minute left in the game. Wow. They were absolutely so close to making this happen. Unfortunately, they couldn't finish the job because, I mean, it is hard just to play 10 minutes and change of basketball competitively, consecutively, without resting. There's plenty of NBA players that do not play the entirety of the fourth quarter, which is 12 minutes long. They usually sub in at about eight minutes or so. So just to play this is exhausting. To play three on five basketball? Are you kidding me? That's absurd. At that point, I honestly would have been rooting for a couple of the other players to foul out and then just have one on five. <laughs> it would have, I mean, if you're in the crowd, I mean, this is just a, a strange event. Everyone, of course, in the crowd is pulling for Alabama because how could you not? This is just the underdoggiest of underdog stories. Now, was the Minnesota coach absolutely berating his players? He, he was not happy because the Minnesota team, and I can get this, and maybe you can relate to this in tennis. When I'm playing tennis, if I'm playing someone that's worse than me, I get nervous where I say to myself, oh, I should be able to beat them. And then I go into, I don't want to make mistakes mode mm -hmm. as opposed to just like playing good tennis. Whereas if I play someone better than me, I am going all out because I figure what if I have to lose I'm not going to win if I just try to stay alive the only way I'm going to win is if I'm hitting winners and drop shots and all this stuff I think that's kind of what Minnesota did they said we have such a big advantage that they kind of psyched themselves out they were just waiting to get a really open shot and they were just kept passing and passing and passing they looked very scared yeah that actually makes a lot of sense because when you have three players on the court no one in the world expects you to win so you're kind of playing with house money and the other team has literally never played against three people before Exactly. It is a new situation. It is something you're not used to. And you're scared because you know that it would be just so embarrassing. And it's one of those things where every time they score, you just feel worse and worse. Now, Colin Sexton was already playing well in this game, but he really started to thrive. By the end of this game, he had scored 40 points. The next highest scorer on his team was 13, and the third highest scorer was 10. So he's playing really well. I'm also going to link to this great picture of Colin Sexton making a face during a timeout where he's just like smirking like, eh? like, look at me, I'm doing this, because he was kind of doing this alone, at least offensively. When they're playing this one-two zone, it's a full team effort. But on offense, it, it started and ended with Colin Sexton. <laughs> now, Colin went on to write a Players' Tribune article. This is a website founded by beloved New York Yankee Derek Jeter, baseball reference. And the athletes write articles themselves. They mostly write them, but much like an athlete biography, I think they get help from some writers. But at the very least, it does sound like they are telling the stories and stuff. So you get some good firsthand perspective. So I wanted to leave this that actually happened with Collins recounting of it. Just going to quote him directly. It was us against Minnesota in the championship, and it started out as a normal game. We were down 12 at half. So now we're down to three players left on our entire squad, myself, Galen Smith, and Riley Norris, and we're down 11. Should be game over, right? To be honest, I'm surprised there's not a rule that made us forfeit, but there's not a rule, and they let us play, just like there's no rule that a dog can't play basketball. And I'll tell you this much. 
Once you let me play, in italics, I'm giving you everything I've got. I scored 19 points in those last 10 minutes playing three on five, and we got it all the way down to a three-point game with a minute and a half left, until finally they pulled it out. We had him on the ropes, though, man. On the ropes. We definitely made a little news off of that, made it to Sports Center and everything. And I think that was probably the first time a lot of basketball fans heard about me. It was a lot of like, Colin, who? He did what? When? With how many? All of those are in all caps. And they, what? Also in all caps. All of those are written in all caps in italics with two question marks, which I think is a great editorial decision by whoever did that. (laughs) He continues. And I always liked how that was the way I got introduced to people. Like how it wasn't just for some flashy pass or a crazy dunk or whatever. It was for me hooping in the type of way that made you think, okay, this is the type of dude you can go to war with. This Colin Sexton don't quit. And I just think that's such a great way to phrase it. And it makes me like Colin Sexton a whole heck of a lot. And I wish him the speediest of recoveries. I'm glad this took place. Everyone should watch the video of this because it's absurd. And that actually happened. That's awesome. And and as silly as it is, it does kind of speak to his competitiveness that he was able to do that. Like if I'm an NBA executive trying to figure out who I'm going to draft and it's between some other dude and Colin Sexton who have similar numbers. And I know that Colin absolutely left everything on the court in a situation where there was almost no chance that he could win, I'm probably going to go with that guy. Yeah, for sure. I think what Colin said is right. That is the best thing to get known for. It's not, oh, he's very good. It's not, oh, he made this cool play. It's he played very well while also playing three on five basketball, which is just ridiculous. And I'm sure that raised his draft stock and I'm happy for him. And it's just a fun story that I'm glad I was able to share with all of you. Hell yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse Horses, hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The music is by Bettina Campamanas. The art is by Allison Wakeman. And the website is by Kelly Schubert. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! He Sells Seashells, Matt Barger, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Mitch Chrysler, Bang! Bang! Brown Men Can Jump! Long-suffering Timberwolves fan, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steamed Nuggets, and Breezes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops was the producer of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and they shouldn't have let that wedding film situation go through when the people were uncomfortable. You're totally right, and I couldn't agree more. Go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to some of the stuff we discussed today, including a breakdown of the vomit incident that you will have more than enough time to not watch if you choose to... <laughs> (laughs) not watch it uh, as well as the three on five game and much more and if you want to support the show and get some goodies for your support whether that be digital things like extra audio extra video extra text or physical things like a horse jersey or a horse sticker you can go to patreon.com slash horse hoops to support us and get some cool stuff but we're going to close out this episode as we always do by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three we could pay homage to colin sexton and the absurd performance he had by saying, he did what? On the count of three. Yeah, I like that. All right. One, two, three. He He did did what? what? Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.